you can start turning to Matthew chapter 10. Normally we would save announcements to the end, but in case you didn't know, Caleb and Brenna are married now. And I'm going to be way less nervous preaching today than I was last week. Too many worries about all sorts of different details, and then I still forget things. I did, didn't I? Except I forgot to let the grandparents leave. Like, I just dismissed everybody at the same time. If that's the only thing I messed up, then we'll be okay, I think. I heard. They were still, they were holding a grudge. Starting a smear campaign, trying to have me removed. All right. Let's pray real quick. God, I just pray this morning that as we read your word and we, we hear your instruction to your followers, your closest people, as you're calling them out and sending them into ministry, that you would cause us to, to see where our lives line up with theirs and where where our calling lines up with theirs and where we're being called to very similar types of ministry and loving people in similar types of ways. And God, I just pray that you would even now um, stir up something within us so that we wouldn't just be satisfied with, with being saved and sitting down and just waiting for you to come back, but that, that we would understand the high calling and the the action that you're calling us to take as we, as we know your word, know your heart, know your desires, and are, and are called to move forward. So God, I just pray that you would work in the hearts of everybody who's here this morning and, and begin shaping hearts if hearts don't yet know you. Begin, begin drawing new hearts to yourselves and, and, causing, and causing more eyes to be open to understand who you are and see you for who you are and know and love you. So God, I just pray that you would work in a powerful way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, do you remember the moment, not that you were saved, but the moment that the idea of salvation became real to you? Do you remember the moment when kind of the light bulb turned on and it's like, Okay, I was just kind of getting by either on my, my parents' salvation or the fact that I thought, oh, I'm good enough. Uh, I, I've done enough to make God happy. And all of a sudden you realize that the, the Christian life, the life that you've been called to, is more than that. Even if you were already maybe even an active member at your church, right? Like that moment, like you're already actively doing something. And then all of a sudden you're told, no, no, no. God wants so much more of you. He wants, he wants so much more for you. Um, I've told this story before, and I think I've even told it fairly recently. But, but like I was happy just being a worship leader for the youth band and for, and for you know, leading occasionally in the main service when we were back at Heritage. Like I was, I was totally comfortable with that. I, I liked 
playing music and I liked attending community groups and attending things, but I was like, I'm not a teacher. I don't want to teach. I don't like that. And, and I was fine just kind of getting by with where I was until uh, Mark Harris, who was a guy that went to Heritage with us, sat me down. Again, I've said this before, at a Shoney's, which is apparently his office. And he said to me, there's more for you here. You need to be not only a part of this community group that you've been hanging out with, but you, you need to be leading this. You need to be teaching. You're able to do this. And in fact, I'm going to be gone in two weeks and you're going to start teaching. And we're going to take turns teaching. And then all of a sudden he just stopped being there. And he was like, you're, it's you. It's all you now. Go. This is your group. Lead them. And I had this, this realization that God wanted more out of me. He wanted me doing something scarier, harder, um, more life-impacting for me and for the people that I was leading than what I thought I was comfortable with. Um, my, my being saved by Christ was calling me to something more, was calling me to something harder, was calling me to something more challenging. And after spending a lot of time over the last several chapters in Matthew, Jesus has been obviously sitting down and he's been teaching lots and lots and lots about what the Christian life entails. Like what it means to follow him. What it's supposed to look like as you pursue Christ. As, you're, as you are after him. What, what your heart is like. What your attitude is like. What your, what your actions look like. And it would be really easy to say, okay, We've heard all of this teaching from Jesus. We understand who he is. We understand what he wants to, what wants from us. We're good. We've hung out. We've heard things. We're in good place. God's going to be, God's going to be happy with us. But, but what we're going to see as we move forward uh, from chapter 10 on is that now Jesus is going to start pouring more specific instruction into some people that he's going to call to say, I've got something even more uh, impactful for you, that you are going to have to take the responsibility for, something that you're going to have to own. So if you're in Matthew chapter 10, I'm going to start with just verses 1 through 4, and we'll go a little further today. Uh, it says, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Jesus is going to take... We've talked about how there are these different groups of people that are around Jesus, right? You've got, you've got these crowds, these large crowds who've been coming to see all of the amazing things that he's done, but they're not really bought into who he is and what he's doing. They're just kind of there for the show. You've had, you've had the, the Pharisees and the, and the religious elite who've been coming around and kind of trying to push back against Jesus and, and, and live in opposition of him. And then you've had the followers, the people who have been actually kind of bought into his message. Well, out of that group, the people that have been closest to him, who've really understood and bought into what he wants for them, out of that group, Jesus is now going to call 12 men that he's going to set aside for a very specific purpose. Uh, as you read forward, once you get into Acts, you realize that these are the guys that he's going to leave in charge 
of the church after he's gone. He's going he's gonna to pour the rest of his life, literally, into these 12 guys and preparing them to take on the building up of the whole church. These are the guys that, that we now look back to as they're the ones who kind of carried the torch from Jesus to today. We look back to them as kind of our founding fathers as the church. And so Jesus is going to call these guys out and he's going to give them special authority, special calling, and in just a minute we're going to see he's going to send them out on a special mission uh, right away. They don't get to just follow him anymore. They're now going to be active participants in Jesus' ministry. And so we get this list of all of these 12 guys. And I remember when we were teaching Matthew, this was back when we were in community group back at Heritage before we planted here. Uh, I remember when we were teaching Matthew, I think we took like a month and a half to go through these four verses. It was, we, we like took like, like Matthew has these guys separated into little groups of two uh, in his list, and I kind of feel like we took a week for each of those pairs and really broke down and understood the lives of all these guys. That's not what we're going to do here. We're going to go through this a little bit faster, but, but I want you to know that there are really rich stories of obedience and sacrifice that, that fulfill all of these guys, minus one, who we'll mention here in a minute, um, but, but all of these guys, by virtue of being called out by Jesus essentially accepted the fact that they were going to be killed for their pursuit of him later on in life. So, so this is a high calling that these men are stepping out. Yes, they get lots of acclaim now because we're like, these are the guys who kind of built up the church. These are the guys who we look back to. But still, it came at a pretty high cost, which is the thing that we're going to hear about as Jesus starts to pour his life into them over the next few weeks. So the first thing that I want us to notice about this group, and this comes from verse 1. It says, He called to them the twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. All of these things, that, all of these amazing things that the disciples are about to accomplish in the next few weeks of their life are given to them as an extension of Jesus' power. None of these guys are all of a sudden... I am magical and I can do these things all on my own and I can claim all of this. It's Jesus saying, here, I'm going to give you just kind of, I'm going to let you kind of be my arms, be my hands, go out and do this, not of your own power, but I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you this authority. And every single one of the things on this list are things that we have recently seen Jesus do. So it's not that he's giving them some sort of brand new experience. He's going to say, you've seen what I have already done. Now I want you to go and do like I just have, like I've just demonstrated for you. And so, and so these guys aren't, be, aren't becoming, you know, aren't becoming gods themselves. They're not being elevated above anybody else. They're just becoming, becoming willing, surrendered followers of Christ who are now acting as Jesus into the world as they're going to be sent out. Which is very similar to our calling as well. Maybe we're not... <coughs> Excuse me. Maybe we're not casting out unclean spirits. Maybe we're not healing the sick in the exact same way. But everything that we're called to do, Jesus modeled for us. He demonstrated for us. And all of the power that he gives to us is given as an extension of him so that we can point back and say, I can accomplish any of these things. I am who I am because of what Christ has done and what Christ has given to me. 
So these guys aren't, these guys have been following him. And so this isn't really like a calling. Like we've already seen Matthew be called. And in other, other tellings of the Gospels, we see different individuals being called out from the crowd by Jesus, where he walks up and says, hey, come follow me. So this isn't really their calling as much as it is their commissioning. Like, this is where you've been around me, and now I'm getting ready to send you out to go do something. Kind of that same feeling that I had when I was happy where I was being saved, but now I'm being told, you've got to go do something else. <coughs> Sorry. Probably should drink water and not die Mountain Dew. That'd probably help. But they're a sponsor. What are you going to do? not true. So here's the thing that I want to kind of get our minds wrapped around with regard to this section on the 12. The moment he calls these guys, he's not, again, once we are saved, once we are called by Christ, we aren't called and then we get to sit. Like, it's not like, like, I've accomplished this work in you and now you've done everything you need to do, so you're done. The calling that Jesus has for us is not passive. There's an immediate action on our behalf that follows. Like, like we're immediately given marching orders by virtue of being called to him. And I think it's really interesting to note how very diverse this group is that Jesus just called to himself. So let's, let's just read through these names again, and then we'll kind of look at some of the specifics within the list. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So we have all of these different people, and, and they're called here apostles, which is, which is a different word from disciple, which, which generally implies the idea of following somebody and studying under somebody. Apostle more, more denotes somebody who's being sent out, given a specific task, and then kind of sent out to carry out something for the person who they had been following. One who has been commissioned to be a representative. Like, they're not, they're not becoming as important as Jesus, but they're going out to represent Christ and point others back to him. And, and the numbers are specific in Scripture. So, so the fact that he chose 12 has some significance for us as well. You'll have to remember back when, when God first made his promise to Abraham that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. Uh, he ended up making a nation filled with 12 tribes who he called out specifically so that they could benefit the greater world around them. So just like the 12 tribes of Israel, he's calling 12 men to impact the rest of the world, to go out and represent him and draw more people to him. And then we see in this group that that they're, they're set up in pairs. Matthew organize, Matthew's the only one that really organized them in sets of two, which is significant because in just a minute, in, in, in the Mark account, when he sends them out, he sends them out in pairs. He doesn't send them out in isolation. He sends them out with a buddy. He sends them out with somebody who is going to be there to support them, be there to back them up when things get tough and say, it's okay for us to turn and leave now, which is going to be part of their mission here in just a second. So he organizes them into pairs, and he also kind of organizes them. All of, the, all of the different tellings of these men being called are kind of organized into similar groups. So the ordering is different in each 
of the different gospel accounts of this, this instance. But what's interesting, and I didn't know this, this is all just research, so don't say, oh, I'm so amazed that you found that out. No, this is just me reading good books. Uh, what's interesting is, in groups of four, in all of these other accounts, though the orders might be different, the same four are always in the first group. It's always Peter, James, John, and, his, and Andrew. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, Peter, James, John, and Andrew are always in this first group. The second group always contains Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew. The third group always contains James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas. So it's as though even within this group of 12, there were already some little subdivisions that Jesus was breaking them up into. So almost like smaller community groups or almost like accountability groups within their community group. Maybe, maybe a reason he's trying to get them into smaller groups so that they can, like, as the 12, they can really get to know one another. But, but even within that, there are going to be people they are going to be naturally closer to and naturally growing from. And within those lists, Peter is always first in that first group of four. And Philip is always first in that second group of four. And James is always first in that third group of four. As if within their subgroups, there's always a leader. There's somebody who, though they're all in this together, Jesus kind of identified as, I want you to be kind of responsible for kind of the spiritual growth and the development of these guys. So I think that kind of goes to support why we as the church so want to encourage, not just that you attend here on Sunday morning and listen to the big service and, and come for the preaching, but that you also get involved in the community groups as well, the smaller groups where you're going to have some more directed teaching and some more time to actually grow closer together. And even maybe within that, you end up in smaller groups for accountability and really close ministry opportunities even together within that. I think we're seeing that modeled even in the way that Jesus organized the guys that he was going to pour his life into. There's a reason that we should get into small groups and we should really try to focus on one another closely and really get close to one another. But like I said, this group that he called is super diverse, and I think it's, it's worth noting just how different these guys were that Jesus is calling together and they're able to serve together. Just a couple of examples. You have some like country businessmen, like you have fishers, like guys that owned their own business. They were just out fishing and doing a laborious task to earn money. You had Matthew, who was a Roman employee, who was out collecting taxes for the Roman government. Right after Matthew's name, a couple names down, you see this guy named Simon the Zealot. When you see the Zealot, these were a group of guys who were like trying to take Israel back from Rome via guerrilla warfare. Like, these are like radical, we're trying to go out and overthrow Rome so that we can take Israel back. So you have in this same group, Roman employee, guy who's out fighting against Rome in an attempt to save Israel politically. These are two guys who would naturally not get along well. They would fight. They would, not, they would argue. They would probably actually try to kill one another. Well, one might try to kill the other. Like, like these are not the kinds of people that you're like, let's put together a team and let's try to get as many people who don't like each other onto this team. 
That's essentially what Jesus is doing. And that's what I think is so amazing that you have people from so many different backgrounds, so many different types of life, that Jesus is calling together and saying, I'm going to use you and you're going to serve as as one unit. You're going to kind of push forward for the development of the church, even with all of this diversity. Which I think is a perfect picture of what God's intent has been for the church all along. That the church would be from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, all working together for His glory, to make His name known throughout the rest of the world. So He calls together all of these different guys. And we'll go ahead and go back into Matthew chapter 10. And He's going to send them out now. Verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leopards. Leopards or lepers? Lepers. Cast out demons. You received without payment, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah for that town. Okay, there's a lot in there. <clears throat> so, Jesus is preparing to send these guys out, and we're going to see over the next couple of weeks that he's actually going to have some extra specific instruction. Here's what it's going to be like when you get out there. You might face some pushback. It, it, it's, it's all coming with extra, extra explanation of what this is going to be like. But he says at first, I'm sending you out, and I don't want you to go to any land of the Gentiles or any town of the Samaritans. Basically what he's just done is he's put a wall around Israel because the lands of the Gentiles were on three sides and the land of the Samaritans was on the fourth side of the nation of Israel. So he's saying, I want you to stay here in our home country for this mission. I don't want you going out there. So the question we have to ask is, why does Jesus not want them to go out and share who he is with the rest of the world at this point? Is it because he doesn't want those people to be saved? I'm seeing shaking heads. That's good. That's the right answer. I mean, maybe? No, he does not. It's not that. If you think back to... God's original promise to Abraham, what did he say? He said, through you, I'm going to make a great nation, and I'm going to bless that nation, and then through that nation, all other nations will be blessed. So this is kind of like a snapshot of God continuing to be faithful to the promise that he made to Abraham thousands of years before this, that he's saying, I want first to send this message of the kingdom of heaven to my people, and I want to give them the opportunity to hear this and follow me before the rest of the message goes out. Which is exactly what we kind of see echoed in Acts, where where they're all huddled in a little room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, as Jesus said. He said, just wait here. Once the Holy Spirit comes, then it's time to take the gospel out and go around the world. 
And so he says, first, I want you to take the message to the lost sheep of Israel. So who's he talking about here? Is he talking about, there are a few people in Israel that don't get it. The rest of them are fine. But, but I want you to go find the few people who still don't understand. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think when he's saying the lost sheep of Israel, this is, this is an admittance, this is Jesus admitting that all of Israel essentially had rejected the true nature of the gospel. They were, they were more bought in on fulfilling these actions and things that the Pharisees were teaching you had to do to be saved than they were about actually relying on God to be their salvation. And so what he's saying is, these people who have been given the promise, who were given the promise first, deserve the first chance to hear the accurate retelling of the gospel. They need to hear this message. So I'm sending you out to my people who don't get this. He's saying, all of our brothers and sisters are out there and they have missed the boat on what salvation is. They've missed the boat on the true nature of the gospel. So they're again being called to go out and take it to them because, because they don't understand. They're, they're lost in this awkward reshaping of what the purpose of the law was. We've talked about it before. The purpose of the law was more to reveal how much we needed God, not give us a way to save ourselves by taking certain actions. And they've missed that. So he's going to send them out to the nation of Israel, again, to remind them of the promises that he had already made to them, that he was going to bless them, that he was going to make them a nation. And he was going to continue to be faithful to that, even though they had rejected his message up to this point. And so he says, go into these houses and see if they are worthy. What does that mean? Does that, it does not mean that he says you walk into a house and this is a person who deserves to be saved. Because you have heard us teach many, many times that there is nothing, that, nothing about any of us that deserves to be saved. Salvation is a free gift of grace from God. So, so it's not that he's saying you're going to go find the people that are worthy. What he's talking about is those who are worthy are those who, who hear the gospel and are changed by it. And, and, are, and are wanting to, to follow Jesus and become more like him. He's saying if you go into a house and the gospel is received and hearts are changed and these people are ready to understand who Jesus is and what the Christian life is supposed to be, stay there. Bless those people. Trust that those people will take care of your needs. We're going to talk about that again in just a second. But he says, if you walk in and they're not found to be worthy, or if, basically what he's saying is, if the gospel is rejected, if hearts aren't being changed, he's saying, you don't have time to sit around and wait. He's saying, you got to get out and you got to keep going. You got to move on to the next house because this message needs to be told now. This is an urgent mission that you are being sent out on. And so when he says, you know, knock the dust off your feet, basically what he's saying is you're, you're, you're admitting that you have said everything that you need to say. You have, you have laid out the gospel and you're saying, I've said everything I can. You have heard as much truth as can be heard about this. At this point, at this point the fact that you have still not been changed, still, still rejected this gospel, it's on you. Like, I've done everything I can. Paul makes this same statement in Acts later on. He says, he says, I know my conscience is clear because I've said everything that I was supposed to say, even though you have rejected me. And so Jesus is preparing them not only for when lives are changed and people are going to bless them and take care of them and their needs. He's also preparing them for you're going to get rejected. 
you're going to face some opposition. Some people are not going to be saved. And in those cases, <coughs> you cannot just linger. There's too many more people that need to hear about this. You've got to be okay moving on. It's got to be, you've got to prepare yourself for that and you cannot bear the guilt of I feel responsible that this person is unsaved, is left unsaved. He's saying it is, it is there, it is on them that they have rejected this message. I think it's interesting that he says, don't worry about getting money. Don't worry about going and getting an extra jacket. Don't worry about going and getting an extra staff or shoes. You got to go. Like, like, I think the idea that Jesus is trying to communicate to them is that the mission is so urgent. This thing that he is sending them out to is so vital. It needs to happen right now. And it matters so much that there is no time for you to overthink this. There's no time to overprepare. There's no time to save up enough money to go. You got to go. These people have to know this truth right now. As I was reading this, I was thinking back to when we were getting ready to start CRC. And this was, what, three something years ago now. Over three, three and a half years. Almost four. Okay, almost four. I'm really old. Okay. So this was a while ago. And we were, we were at Heritage, and we were thinking, maybe God wants us to plant this church. And we were praying about it. And we're like, yeah, I think this is something we want to do. And we had in our mind that Jesus is calling us to go plant this church. We want to take a couple of years and really learn how to be a church, learn what it looks like to kind of oversee a church, really kind of dig into the Bible and understand what it is that it's supposed to look like and what we're supposed to do, and really come up with a good plan, uh, get ready, be, be all comfortable before we get ready to go. And God said, actually, no. How about you guys are going to plant a church next week? Like, seriously, he was like, okay, you think you want to wait a year and a half or two? No, you're going, like, like start going. We're like, but God, we don't know how to do this. He's like, you'll figure it out. But God, we don't, we don't have a place to go. We, have, we, would li we don't know where we're going to, like, are we just supposed to, like, like, like sit out in the middle of, of a front yard and have church? Like, what is this supposed to look like? He said, just go. He was basically calling us, I've used this example before, but it's such the perfect example. You're already laughing because you know what it is. Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, right? Right? I love this scene. He's got, a, he's got this huge cavern, and he's got to get across, and he can't see where he's going to land, but he's just got to step out in faith, knowing that there's going to be something to catch him, right? And it's way more dramatic than I just told it, but he does this whole thing where he's like picking up his foot, and he's like, I don't know where I'm going to land. And then he steps, and his foot lands somewhere. And that is honestly how we felt. It's like, we're planting a church next week. All right, here we go. Where are we going to be? We step, oh, God gave us a place. He put us in the BCM. He's given us a home for now. We don't know what this is supposed to look like. Hey, we've got a, a Christmas service to do. What does a Christmas service look like? I don't know. Maybe we should pray a lot. Let's try it. Oh, we had a Christmas service. Hey, it's time for us to look for a new building. Where are we going to go? Let's start riding around downtown. Here's a place. I wonder if it's available. God says, here, I'm going to give you this place. Oh, thanks, God. You know, so every step along the way, we really have not known what we were doing. And still, quite often, do not know exactly what we're doing or how God wants us to do these things. We're still learning what it is that he would have for us. But he's saying, 
the mission that I'm calling you to, the taking of the gospel to the world around you, or for us, the neighborhoods around us, is so important that there is no time for you to get your staff and get your jacket and get your, get your building and get your electricity and get your running water and get your stove and get your refrigerator. And you, you, there's not going to be time. You just have to go. And we'll, we'll figure the rest of that stuff out. Or maybe by the time you get there, people are going to start blessing you and taking care of you. Maybe by the time you start being a church, the church is going to go ahead and start chipping in and helping provide lunch on Sunday mornings. And, and the church is going to take care of loving the kids that God's going to start bringing here. And maybe the church is going to start supporting the going out and taking the gospel as well. And it's not just going to be you. So in all of those moments where it's like, that's a scary thought. And that's happening really fast. And a lot of people would think that's happening so fast that I shouldn't do it because I haven't had time to think through all of the alternatives. I haven't had time to figure out all the bad things that could possibly happen, right? Because we do that, right? We try to figure out, all right, what is every possible bad thing that could happen if I, take this, if I go this direction? And God's saying, you don't have time to figure all those things out. You got to go. Because these people are dying and they don't know me. And it's not good for them if that happens. You guys have to go now. You have to trust that I am going to take care of you. You have to trust that I am going to provide for you. And so I think, I think as far as application for us here now is that I think we should feel a greater sense of urgency when it comes to our calling, our mission. And I'm going to use the word reckless. We should use a, a more reckless sense of I got to get after this than we often do. We're so good at planning, being safe and careful. And we're so careful and safe that we end up not really doing anything. We end up not really following through because, well, we didn't quite understand everything. We weren't quite ready for that. So we just didn't do anything. And I'm the worst at that. I'm real bad about, well, I wasn't quite ready for this, so I haven't done it yet. If we love the people around us, if we, if we genuinely desire to see the gospel get a hold of people's hearts around us, if we love the people, we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, if we truly have compassion for the people that we see every day, if we love those people what are we waiting for? Why aren't we doing something about it? Why aren't we out walking around talking to people? Why are we making sure that we're, we're safe and we feel like we understand everything and we've planned everything out? Because that's not always what God's calling us to do. Because, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll close with this. Because in verse 15, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah for that town. That town is the town that doesn't, that rejects the gospel. What he's saying is this message that you have is a good message. But for those that reject it, this is a scary message. This is a terrifying message. This is bad news for somebody who's not in Christ. And I want us to be people that hurt for people that don't know Jesus more than we do. Who is it that you hurt for? When you, see, when you see a person, is it like 
you, you feel inside, it's like, oh, I feel so bad for that person. I want something better for that person. If we don't realize the cost of not knowing Christ, if we can't, if we can't wrap our minds around that, we don't really understand the urgency of what Jesus is calling us to. So for some of us in here, that might be you. You might be on the outside looking in. Right now, this gospel message might be bad news for you. Like, it might be something that, that in hearing it, you're like, you're saying bad things to me. And, and apart from Christ, yeah, that's true. But I don't want that for you. I want you to have a new heart. I want you to be one of these people who, who, who is changed by the gospel, is found worthy. And in a sense, is being made worthy by Jesus. Who's taking our, our broken and sinful state, these, these icky, disgusting things to God that, that he would have no reason to want to be around. And he's saying, I'm going to make something of them. I'm going to make them worthy. I'm going to make them the kind of person that I want to be around. I'm going to welcome them into my family. I'm hoping and I'm praying that if, if you don't know Jesus yet, that, that you're understanding the beauty of this gospel and, 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 how, and how much God loves you. And I hope that we as a church are able to love people in such a way that shows exactly how Jesus loves us. And that we're able to, to translate that love into something that, that is meaningful and powerful and hopefully life-changing. So let's pray. God, It is so easy to be lazy in the church. It is so easy to sit and listen and then stand and sing and get up and go home. And let that be it. Let that be your week. Let that be all of your spiritual development. And to go on thinking about different things. But God, I pray that we would so feel the weight of our calling to take your love to the nations that we would not be satisfied sitting still anymore, that we would feel this, this deep sense of urgency, this, this powerful tugging to go now, hurry, and that we wouldn't get caught up in our own thoughts, our own planning, our own trying to understand the safest way out or the best way forward and to really understand all the implications of what that's going to look like. But God, that we would so trust you, so trust that you're going to take care of us, you're going to provide for us no matter what it is that we're facing. That would just soften our hearts, keep us from, from pushing back, and we would just completely surrender to you. Just go and follow. God, we've been praying this for weeks, but God, just give us a heart that loves people, that has compassion for the people that don't know you so that we, would, we wouldn't be able to just pass by. We wouldn't be satisfied with that. But that even if we only have maybe a minute, maybe if it's just that somebody's going to come in here and grab a soda and then they're going to be on their way, that in that 30 seconds or a minute that we have with them, we would feel so urgent the need to share who you are and talk about Jesus. 
that we would have no more wasted opportunities. Because we so love you and we so love people. God, make us those kinds of people. In Jesus' name, amen.